Thank you, Rose. And maybe uh, we're going to work on the sound a little bit if we can just bring it down a notch. And uh, as you know, we are doing kid-friendly-er, the operative word is er there, services. So we're trying to shorten it up a little bit and recognize that we're giving a break to all the workers. So as Chen said, we had about 150 children in the building every day this week and a whole bunch of workers. And the workers are tired and we're giving a break this weekend. And so kids' uh, ministry will start up again next weekend. But I just want to say first a, a sincere thank you and appreciation to all those who served. It took, it was dozens every day to serve these children well, and they were served well, and the gospel went out, and the love of God went out. And so I want to say thank you to everyone who served. I want to say a little bit more about that a bit later. We also want to continue in our time of prayer as a church. So I, I heard today the President of the United States said this is, in the, in the past 60 years, this is the most sensitive time since 60 years, the Cuban Missile Crisis, in terms of nuclear war. And we've recognized there was a threat from Putin about using nuclear weapons, and the President of the United States has said he may mean that. It doesn't call us to fear, it calls us to prayer. And that's what I'm going to ask you to do with me today, is pray. We need to pray for our world. And we've been praying for Ukraine, for peace every day or every week. And we're going to keep at that. And we need to pray especially as we go forward. If you have an item of prayer request for your personal life, I'm going to give you a moment just to pray silently. And then allow me to lead you in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we have sung about that powerful name of Jesus Christ, the resurrected Lord, King of Kings. And our hope and trust is in him. Lord, we recognize that in this world we have tribulation and we have trials. But we know that we are never left forsaken. For Jesus Christ is with us and the power of the Spirit is in us. And I do pray that as we worship you, even tonight, that you would be honored and glorified. Father, we also want to just give you thanks for the ministry that took place this past week, for all those who served in Kids Club. But Father, even more than that, for all the children that came. And they got to hear about the love of God through Jesus Christ our Lord, they got to see Christians as they lived out their faith. And Father, we do praise. I've been praying throughout this week that this would not only be a great week for those children, but it would be a time where they would follow Jesus Christ all the days of their life. Father, we do pray that you would bless the children's ministry here, recognizing how strategic it is that we want to raise up another generation to know and love Jesus Christ. Father, we also want to recognize the importance of prayer, praying for our nation and praying for our world, and that's what Christians are called to do. Lord, we want to pray for our world once again. We pray for peace in Ukraine. Father, I pray that you would stifle any plans or thoughts of using nuclear weapons. Lord, we recognize that that would be a tragedy, not just for the people of Ukraine, but for the people of Russia, the surrounding areas, and for our entire world. 
would pray that that, that that act would not occur. And so according to your great power, in your ability, Lord, to raise up kings and rulers and put them down, we pray that any plans to use nuclear weapons would be put down by your grace and for your glory. Father, we also pray for ourselves, and we thank you that you take care of us every day. And as we've already said, you never leave us or forsake us. And so, Lord, be with us now in Christ's name. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to continue on in our series called Taking God Seriously, and it's dealing with the life of Elisha, not Elijah, but Elisha. And there's stories there that often I find, as I talk to people about the stories, they're not that familiar, even if they've been in church for a while, but they're amazing stories, and they point to a great God. Before I uh, begin with this uh, next sermon, I do want to make an announcement so the entire church is aware, and our church staff is aware of this, and this is with the endorsement, blessing, encouragement of our elder board, but I have a, a wonderful news, and Uh, as it pertains to our church staff. It's not a senior pastor announcement, but we are going to be bringing on Jamie Bolin as one of our pastors of the church. So Jamie and Claudia are well known to this church. They were serving in Kids Club, not just them, their children as well, uh, this week. And Jamie's going to come on as a pastor. He's going to be focusing in on small groups and that's an area that Chin and uh, Jamie are going to work together in and transition. And then we're going to ask Jamie to really focus in on small groups. So it's an important ministry for this church, and we want Jamie to be encouraged in it. And so if he calls you as a, as a small group leader, encourage you to be a part of it, please take his call and also welcome him in. And he will do a great job, and I'm excited to bring and welcome Jamie on board. So let's have Jamie. you mind standing? That's good. I think you know who he is, but he's sitting over there now. Well, we're going to talk about spiritual blindness and spiritual sight. And so ultimately, look at three uh, ways of seeing and having sight. But let me begin with a story. Uh, Max Lucado, in his book called God Came Near, tells the story of a man named Bob Edens. And Bob Edens is 51 years old. He was born blind. And this is how Max Lucado talks about uh, Bob Edens, and he says this. He felt his way through five decades of darkness. So 51 years old, five decades of darkness. And then he could see. A skilled surgeon performed a complicated operation, and for the first time, Bob Edens had sight. He found it overwhelming. Now think about it. He's been described things all of his life. Now he might hold an orange in his hand, but he doesn't know what the color orange looks like. And he has plenty of bananas, I'm sure, and he's been told it's yellow. But this is what he says. I never would have dreamed that yellow is so yellow, he exclaimed. I don't have the words. I'm amazed by yellow. But red, red is my favorite color. I just can't believe red. You realize we take for granted this blessing of sight, don't we? He says, I can see the shape of the moon, and I like nothing better than seeing a jet plane flying across the sky, leaving a vapor trail. 
And of course, sunrises and sunsets. And at night, I look at the stars in the sky and the flashing light. You could never know how wonderful everything is. And here's a man who understands blindness and darkness, but then he also understands sight and vision. Now, we're talking about spiritual sight here. So I'm recognizing we can look around and see physical things in our world, and that's a blessing. But the greatest blessing, the even greater blessing, is to be able to see the glory of God, the holiness of God, the glory of the gospel, the power of the cross of Christ, the power of the resurrection, to be able to see with spiritual eyes that heaven, a new heaven and new earth and eternal life through Christ. We're going to talk about four miracles, and they're all going to be dealing somewhat with uh, spiritual sight. But I want to uh, tell just briefly about uh, another blind person who is a hero, should be a hero to many of us, who's Helen Keller. Now, Helen Keller could see when she was born, but when she was 19 months old, that's when the accident, that's when the illness occurred, and she went blind, deaf, dumb. She had a, a teacher, many of you know, and you know the story of the miracle worker, Annie Sullivan. And Annie Sullivan did something amazing. She took a child that could not see or communicate, and she taught her. Helen Keller became an author and wrote many amazing things. But one of the things that she said as she talked about blindness is this. The only thing that is worse than being blind is having sight but having no vision. Blindness is an unfortunate handicap, she said. But true vision does not require eyes. You hear what she's saying? There's a way of seeing that may not even require our physical eyes, but it requires our spiritual eyes. And so my question right now, I want you to think about this. You clearly see the glory of God. Sometimes we walk through life and it seems that it's there, but maybe a bit obscure. Now, I get it. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. But I'm talking about the glory of the holy God. Do you take seriously the unseen things of this world? Taking God seriously means spiritual sight. And that's what I'm going to ask you to look at, to think about, to ponder and then to develop your spiritual sight. Turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6. Now I'm going to begin reading in verse 8. And again, an amazing story in the Old Testament. We don't preach it often, but an amazing story about spiritual sight. And what we're going to see is it's relevant not only to Elisha in his day, but to our day as well. I'm going to ask you to stand as I read from God's word. 2 Kings, chapter 6, beginning verse 8. Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel. The man of God is Elisha. Beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. 
He summoned his officers and demanded them, tell me, which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? There's obviously a mole here, a spy. None of us, my lord, the king, said one of his officers. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back, he's in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early in the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, my Lord, what shall I do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, this prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the servant, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. This is God's word. You may be seated. So three visions we want to consider. First, this, this uh, spiritual vision, it's divine vision. Nothing is hidden from God. So in the story, we see the king of Aram has come against Israel, we don't have names or dates here except for Elisha. But then the, the king uh, of Aram has these secret plans, and he's planning out with his top officials, as you might think, and yet somehow these plans are constantly getting leaked to the king of Israel. And so the king of Israel, or the king of Aram, thinks, well, of course, this is obvious. There's somebody who's informing on our plans. There's a mole here. Then the uh, advisor said this, no, there's no mole, but there's a prophet in Israel, Elisha, who can tell the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Now, that may be a bit of hyperbole, but what he says is basically this, nothing is hidden from their God. Their God sees everything. So here is a pagan leader as far as we know, but he believes that God can see everything. And then the king says this, well, find him, capture him. And again, he didn't really hear what he just was told. The, the prophet can hear everything, knows everything, because their God knows everything. So he has this plan. We're going to go and capture Elisha. That's the way we, we figure this thing out. We'll just go capture Elisha. So he makes another what? Secret plan. He makes another secret plan, even hearing what he's just been told. And how are they going to go? Did you notice that in the text? They're going to go at night. At night. Maybe under the cover of darkness, with this secret plan under the cover of darkness, they can figure this out and capture Elisha. And so one of the things we see immediately is this. Here is a man, a pagan king, who is told that there is a true prophet of God, and he knows even what you're saying in your bedroom, not just these meetings, and he hears the truth, and yet he still doesn't hear it clearly. He still doesn't see with spiritual eyes. There's still this spiritual blindness. Now, God's not blind, but he is. He's still not taking God seriously, right? That's something we've got to check on. Now, if he's not taking God seriously, what about me? 
We read from Psalm 139. Nothing is hidden from him. He even sees us in our mother's womb. He knows us. Nothing is hidden from his sight. Look over at Hebrews chapter 4 and just look at one verse, verse 13. The writer of Hebrews says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So not only does God see, we have this seriousness when we think about God seeing us and knowing us, is that we give an account to him. One of the things I want to talk about is uh, there was a a great story that went back to the early church, to one of the the great theologians of the early church, which uh, was Augustine. And it was said that Augustine had this plaque in his dining room, because as you know, people come together, they dine, and, and they just chat, and just chat away, and they'll start talking about various people. But in his dining room, he had a plaque that said this, one who speaks evil of another, who is not present, is not welcome at this table. In other words, he was addressing this very clear issue that can even happen to Christians, Gossip. We'll just talk about somebody else. And they're not here, but that's what we call it is gossip. And Augustine basically put it this way. That's not going to be a lot at this table because while that person may not be here, God is present, God sees, God hears. And what we want to do, if you're going to dine with me, is take God seriously. We will not have spiritual blindness. We live under the watchful eyes of our living God. So pagan vision, well, what's that? Well, they they would live as if God doesn't exist or as if he cannot see or whether he is relevant or not. How do we live differently in this world? Spiritual sight is basically recognizing I live under the watchful eyes of God. That's not a threat. It's just that fact that I give an account to a loving Heavenly Father, and I live that way. Nothing is hidden from God. Here's the second thought. Real vision is seeing what God is doing. So in this story, they are surrounded. They go to Dothan, and the Aramean army surrounds the town. And the servant of Elisha gets up early, and he he sees that they are surrounded, and he's afraid. He's very clearly concerned. Verse 17, Elisha prays, open his eyes that he may see. And what he saw was hills filled with chariots of fire. Now, let me just give you, because there's been artist depictions of this, I'm just going to show you a couple of pictures. So the first one is... um, of what the servant would have seen. Again, this is a cartoonish picture, but you get it. He's looking over the city walls, and he sees the fields are just filled with the Aramean army. And what is this little town compared to that great army? And then Elisha is going to pray. Lord, just open his eyes. Open my servant's eyes so that he doesn't have to be afraid because he needs to see what's really out there, real vision. And so he prays and the servant sees 
that surrounding that army are these chariots of fire. And basically, the servant is recognizing at one point, thinking, this is helpless. We're in a helpless situation. We're surrounded by an enemy army. And now he's looking out at the enemy army and saying, they're in a helpless situation. They're the ones that are in big trouble, and they don't even see it and know it. What an amazing thought as we think about this. What a great prayer. Open my eyes, Lord, that I might see and get a glimpse of your power in this world. Don't be afraid or overwhelmed by the armies of this world. They look powerful to us. And yet, we believe in the living God. And he is the God who raises kings and kingdoms, and he puts them down. And sometimes we, even as followers of Jesus Christ, can be overwhelmed by the power of, of society and things around us. Even this past week, we recognized there was a, a man in, uh, in Victoria who became the CEO of a, a footy club for one day. And, and the reason why he had to step down in one day was not because of anything he said or did. In fact, he was seen as a man of high character. But he had an association with a Bible-believing church, and they looked at a sermon that was preached 13 years ago, or in 2013, and he wasn't even there but in that sermon, the pastor pointed out, probably biblically speaking, that there's a lot of things that are sins against God, and he said one word that just teed apparently everybody off, and that one word, that one sin, was enough, and that was it. So he has to step away. He was given the choice, either leave your church or you leave the footy club, and he made the right choice. He left the footy club, and we can think, oh, this is overwhelming to us. Now we have to be afraid, and what I'm saying is no. We need to start in one place, and this is the key, as we look in the world around us, where do we start? Where should we start if we have spiritual vision? Start with the first verse of the Bible, okay? In the beginning, God. You always start with God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So once we recognize he's the one who created all these things, that we're not overwhelmed by things in the heavens and the earth. We are in awe of the God who made it all. And once we have our focus on that God, there's less fear and more faith. And that's what he calls us to. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. There's a third miracle that comes up. The troops become physically blind. Now, look at uh, 2 Kings chapter 6, beginning verse 18. The enemy came down toward him. Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness. So they couldn't see the chariots of fire around them, but now they're going to be struck with, again, a, a vision thing, a blindness thing. So he struck them with blindness, as Elisha had asked. Elisha told them, this is not the road, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will lead you to the man you are looking for. And he led them to Samaria. After they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so that they can see. 
Then the Lord opened their eyes, and they looked, and there they were inside Samaria. So now they're in the capital. Now they're kind of captured. So the, the third miracle is the troops who become physically blind. The fourth one is the restoration of their sight, open their eyes. The real question is this, will they see? Of course they're going to see physically, but will they see spiritually what's happening? The question for us in our day is this, do we see spiritually what God is doing? Look over at John chapter 5, verse 17. Jesus was being persecuted by the leaders of his day. Verse 17, in his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. One of the things that we, that's got to encourage us is this. If God is at work to this very day, in Jesus' day, but also in our day, and Jesus is at work to this very day, what we need to do is have those spiritual eyes to be able to say, yeah, he's, he is not dead, he is not finished, He's still at work in our lives, in our church, in our community, and it's happening. Sometimes we can get discouraged when we don't start with God, and we think there's a lot of bad things happening in our world, and there are. But we start with God, and we recognize he is still at work. And our prayer is that we might have eyes open to what God is doing. Following Christ means seeing things through Jesus' eyes. It means we're not afraid. It just means that we have this great faith. Look over at Second uh, Corinthians chapter 4. And again, I, I just use a, a number of these passages on spiritual sight. And here's a great one, Second Corinthians chapter 4. And I'm going to read uh, verses 4 through 6. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ. You realize that's what's going on right now. Who is the image of God? For what we preach is not ourselves. In other words, we're not telling people, look at me, look at us. But Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. So that's all we are. We point to Jesus Christ. That's who we want you to see. And if you look at us, we're just servants of the Lord. For God, who said, let light shine out of the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. And so this is it. One of the things that the Apostle Paul recognizes is there is spiritual blindness that goes on. And some of us may think, why can't they see the glory of God and the goodness of the gospel and the grace of God? It's offered. It's there. It's real. And yet there's this blindness that takes place. And still, God is at work, and he opens our eyes, and we see the glory of Christ. And we point people to Christ. What we want to be careful of is that we're never spiritually nearsighted, that all we can see is what's close to us. What we want to recognize is that we want to choose faith and not fear. I want to talk just a moment about that because uh, in our church, 
We have had, we will have a number of children who are going to be born in this church family, and that's a blessing. And, and this past week, we did a kids club with a whole bunch of children. And sometimes I hear, even among Christian parents, something like this. Just listen to me, something like this. I don't know if I want to, we want to bring children into this world when you look at how evil and dark it is. Now, here's what I want to say. I, I understand what you're saying. But what we are doing is recognizing that we serve a living God, and he is greater than anything in this world, and so we will never live in fear, but always in faith. But part of that faith is going to be lived out in an intentional way. So let me go back to Kids Club and why that's important for us, because it takes a lot of work, a lot of energy, hundreds of hours just in preparation, let alone all the volunteers that it takes to run it well for five days. Why do we do that? And why do we do children's ministry? And why do we do youth ministry? And why is that so important to us? Because what we are called to do as people of faith is be intentional. So no, we don't just throw our children out to the wolves and say, I hope they survive. We intentionally teach them the truth of the gospel. We don't just throw them out to the to the secular schools and say, you know, they'll pick a way, they'll, they'll choose their own way. No, we lead them towards Christ. That's what we do. That's the responsibility of Christian parents. We share with them through our lives, through our words, through our witness, through our worship, that we believe in a living God. And we do not raise our children in fear of this world. We raise our children in faith of the living God. And that's the difference. What it is, it's real vision. It's seeing what God is doing. And God is going to work in our Christian homes and in our Christian families as we diligently serve the Lord and raise our children to know and love the Lord. It's not just one time when you dedicate the baby in church. We're talking about living a life before them and pointing them to Christ each and every day. We live in faith, not fear. So let me talk about saving vision. I want to talk about the gospel of grace. And some of you may say, well, where do you see the gospel of grace in this story? Just listen, and here's where we're going to pick up the story. I want to pick it up in verse 21. When the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elisha. So remember, now we've got all this army is there in the capital of Samaria. And they're surrounded by the Israelites, of course. They've just been given their sight, and now... You know, they've been caught dead to rights. They're a raiding army in Israel, and now they've been caught dead to rights, and they're there surrounded in the capital in Samaria. When the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elisha, Shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? Twice he asked that notice. Twice. That's the big question. Do we just kill them right now? Look at verse 22. Do not kill them, he answered. Would you kill those you have captured with your own sword or bow. In other words, they're helpless. Set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. So he prepared a great feast for them. To hear those words, a great feast for the enemy. And after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away and they returned to their master. So the bands from Aram, Stopped raiding Israel's territory. 
Now, here's where I want you to think about the gospel of grace. Because we see this story. Here's the question. And don't you love it? The, the king's question. What should we do with them? Kill them? No, don't kill them. You need to provide for them. Provided a great feast for them. God opens their eyes and they see that they are helpless now. And what we're going to do is provide for them. Let me get you to think about that great story in Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah goes and he's in the, the temple of the Lord, the sanctuary of the Lord. And he says, I saw, notice there's this, I seen, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And the angelic beings were surrounding him, holy, holy, holy. And when Isaiah has this vision and he sees very clearly the glory of God and the holiness of God, what's his response? I am a man with unclean lips. Even the words I say defile a holy God or an offense against a holy God. And I come from a people of unclean lips. In other words, his eyes are opened up and he recognizes there's a holy God and he's glorious and I'm a sinner. And what does God do there? But he forgives. He doesn't condemn. And this is how we think about the gospel of grace. When we have our eyes open, our spiritual eyes open, we recognize a holy God could condemn us, but Jesus Christ did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus opens our eyes, and when we see clearly that glory of God and the glory of the cross, and that Jesus had to die for sinners like us, and he was powerfully raised on the third day, and he's the one who can give eternal life. We may think I'm hopeless in my sin. And yet, in that point, God offers this feast of grace. Simply put your hope and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It is that feast of grace, not what we deserve, not what we earn. They came in this story, the Arameans, they came as enemies of Israel, and yet Israel treats them with grace. And you'll notice as a result of that treatment of grace, they stopped raiding Israel. The main point I want to get is this. When it comes to us, God does not treat us as our sins deserve. And so one of the things that we point out is we're not here to condemn the world because that's not why Jesus came. But we do recognize that there's a holy God and we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. But once we see that and we see this holy God, we recognize that he doesn't condemn me. In fact, Christ came to save me. And so we receive this amazing forgiveness and this amazing grace. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. I'm going to give you one more quote from Helen Keller. She said this. I remember, she, in 19 months, she was blind, never saw again. But she said, I can see. And this is why I can be happy. In what you call darkness, her blindness, but what to me is golden, 
I can see a God-made world, not a man-made world. She's basically recognizing that through these eyes of faith, even though physically she is blind, she sees the glory of God in creation. What we need to see is the glory of grace and the glory of God's salvation. I can see. It's not with physical eyes we're talking about. It's with these spiritual eyes where we see the glory of God, his love and kindness through Christ Jesus, and that Jesus doesn't come and condemn us as a holy God, but he saves us on the cross. What are we called to do? Well, those who have spiritual sight simply put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. We are saved not by our own works, but by grace. And we receive that grace, and it's a feast of grace. If you don't have that hope, you know it's offered to you right now, right where you are. It's offered, not by me, but by the Lord himself. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Pray with me. Father, we do thank you that you have set before us grace. And sometimes we're too distracted by the things of this world to see that grace. You've offered us forgiveness, and so we don't hide our sins from you because nothing is hidden from you. We confess them to you. And then we receive forgiveness, salvation, hope, life. And the promises of God, the unseen promises of God become a reality to us. And so we live by faith. Father, I pray that we would do that this week. Throughout our lives, that we would be developing that spiritual sight Lord, keep us from blindness, keep us from despair, keep us from fear, but help us to start with God and to trust in him all the days of our lives. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.